Welcome to How to Catholic with Kevin and Lisa Cotter, a podcast dedicated to helping you practically live your Catholic faith with excellence. For the very first time on the How to Catholic podcast, we welcome... A man of the cloth, Father Brian Larkin, who's my friend and soon to be yours, talks to us about spiritual reading. On the podcast today, we'll discuss why it's so important to read, even more than podcasts, and how to develop spiritual habits. Along the way, we'll recommend authors and books for you to check out. You won't want to miss it. So stay right here. really excited about this episode today. My friend, Father Brian Larkin, is here. Normally, Father Brian, our, our interviews are done via Skype. Mm. You you get the amazing privilege to be in our unfinished basement in studio. The flesh. In the flesh. So welcome yeah. to uh, How To Catholic. Thank you. Great to be here. Love being with the Cotters. A lot yeah. of fun. This is fantastic. Kind of start off our show, Father Brian, if you want to give a little introduction to yourself, fun facts, any, yeah. uh, biographical information, that'd be helpful. Yeah, so uh, welcome radio listeners, I guess, or <laughs> something like that. Yeah, so I'm a priest. I've been a priest for uh, seven years uh, here in uh, Denver, and uh, love being a priest. Never thought I would be a priest, had no interest. And uh, in college, I had, uh, you know, what we talk about as conversions these days. I was raised Catholic, but wasn't too into it, and through focus, uh I was involved in a Bible study in college and fell in love with scripture and down the road as a missionary, I ended up discerning priesthood and uh, now I've been a priest almost seven years and it's very challenging, unlike marriage, right? <laughs> but I love being a priest and uh, it's where I'm supposed to be. Yeah, that's fantastic. Obviously, being a focused family, it's very awesome to, to call you friend and to watch you pastor with all that that knowledge and to see it. Uh, unleashed. You know, obviously each parish, one of the great things about Catholicism, we have this similarity, uh, particularly with the mass, but also, you know, when you go into different parishes, you get a certain different flavor, Mm -hmm. kind of differences. What would you say if someone came into your parish, what kind of differences do you think they would notice from maybe another parish they might go to? Sure. I think you're right. It's kind of both and, right? There, there is hopefully, you know, across Catholicism, we believe one thing, we believe all the same thing. Uh, but it, in my parish, you know, we part of it is just the dynamic of where we're located. We're very mm-hmm. central. And so we tend to get a lot of uh, young adults in our parish. Uh, but we don't focus on that. What we try to do, actually, coming out of focus as a missionary, uh, I have a particular love for scripture. And I think if you come to Mass at my church, you'll see that uh, scripture is really emphasized in preaching. And then... Uh, music. And I, I think a lot of parishes are trying to do this. It's just hard. And we're not by any means there, but I think we're doing things decently well. And so we, we emphasize preaching and music and evangelization. And there's just a lot of life right now. God's really blessed us. And, um, and then kind of the other thing is we have a great school and uh, the communities have reinforced each other. I think our parish has helped our school and our school mm-hmm. has helped our parish. And 
it's just been a neat place. God's brought together a bunch of people. I feel like to work together to uh, reach souls. Yeah. So yeah, I'd reinforce that as someone who's been uh, to your parish before. It is a it's amazing dynamic. Just the amount of young adults I think would strike people as how did you and where did you get all of these young people? Um, right. but at the same time, you have school families there. You have a, an elderly population that's been at the parish for a very long time who's mm-hmm. amazing and faithful. And and you're right. I don't know. There's just, uh, yeah, a real sense, I think, when you do come to Mass, the, the preaching, like you said, and uh, the music just are, are great standouts. So, yeah. yeah and, and I think in Denver, you know, we've, I'm sure this, uh, this place, this way in other places in the country, but people are hungry and we, we, we're so blessed. We have a lot of focus people. We have a lot of Steubenville graduates and Benedictine and other faithful Catholics in Denver. And I think a lot of people are hungry uh, to learn scripture more deeply. And, um, and I just feel very blessed. I had a great seminary education and focus helped me a ton. And, um, and I certainly try to pass it on and just share that with people and just say, Hey, our faith is so rich. It's so amazing. Go to the next step. Yeah. Go the next step into the readings and into theology and, you don't have to be a theologian, but you can take the next step. Yeah, and I'd say um, you didn't mention this, but I think it stands out to most like common Catholics is that typically liturgies that I've experienced at, at your parish are about an hour and 20 minutes. And I think it's because um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> to the average Catholic, it's like, wait, what happened? How, how did an hour and 20 minutes go by? And, and for me, when I come, it's, it's because the preaching's great and because the liturgy's so great. But I think... Um, to your point of emphasizing on those two things to create beauty at, at, at the mass and also obviously goodness, but also truth, you know, through preaching and that intellectual side, you, you, like you're saying, people are hungry. And I think you found um, that the more you give that to people, actually they don't walk away and go, Oh my gosh, you stole 20 minutes of my life. They go, right. That was great. I want to come back. And, and so I think it's a great testament to, yeah, that goodness, truth and beauty. Yeah. And now it can be addictive as yeah, well. Thank you. And I think, and I think the, I always laugh at this, you know, people, my families and my school kids, they love to give me a hard time and they say, you know, Father Brian, you went a little long today, but they're usually joking, even though I did. But uh, the my comeback is always that it's not actually the preaching. I actually think one of the most mm. important things uh, is in the liturgy. My experience growing up as a Catholic was we rush through the Eucharistic prayer. And priests tend to say that very quickly. And I, and I don't think that's always intentional. Sure. But I do think as Catholics, we've gotten into the habit of that. And so when I be, was ordained a priest, I very intentionally slowed down. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't for my congregation actually so much. It was for me. Hmm. Because I know that when I, like if you say the Our Father, you can say it really fast and you don't even know what you're saying. Yeah. But the times that I tend to be more engaged when I pray is when I pray more slowly. Yep. And so in the Eucharistic prayer... I, I tend to say it's slow. And the first time, you know, people hear me say mass, they're like, is he okay? Like, <laughs> you know, is, is everything all right then? And I'm okay. I just, it helps me to pray. And I think it, I think it helps my congregation. And so I, I actually yes. think it's important for priests to slow down a little bit. It doesn't have to be dramatically slow, but just a little bit. We got to slow down and say, we can't just say the Eucharist is important. Uh, it's more important the way we pray at mass. And if we do that well, we teach people how to pray and I think they are happy to stay a little bit longer. Yeah. And once you break that hour bearing to say that is of no concern to me, you know, whether it's through that liturgy, whether it's through prayer, whether it's through preaching, I think people just eventually forget about it and say, I'm here for a different reason. So, um, but yeah, and that's that's a big reason why we wanted to interview tonight on this topic sure. about spiritual reading. I think you bring that amazing dynamic of scripture and preaching and also just really 
understanding the liturgy, really understanding uh, the Mass. And so I just want to dive into spiritual reading and um, just Great. a little bit of a why. Like, what, what is spiritual reading? Why would a, you know, a Catholic, you know, maybe they're a Catholic mom out there, they're a college student, whatever it might be, why would they engage more in spiritual reading? So, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's there's so many different reasons that you should engage in that. Uh, and I think, you know, one of the biggest ones is just that as Christians, we're concerned about truth. And I think we all know this today. Every, anybody who's awake is kind of a, we're all a little worried about the way technology is impacting our lives. Mm -hmm. uh, certainly millennials and then the next generation are called iGeners, I guess. Mm -hmm. And we can see that, but I think we all know as adults that that's impacting us as well. I'm, I'm laughing as I have two computers in front of me. Yeah, while you're I wasn't going to say anything. So. <laughs> you have a book. I right. have two computers. Yeah. It says something. That's yeah, awesome. but yeah. <laughs> totally. Yeah, and I think um, we just need to think about that. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I say a lot in my homilies, but I say it to my RCIA class, is that repetition is the mother of learning. And in the modern world, and it's just not just the modern world, but so much comes into our souls through our ears and our eyes and conversations we have. And when we have the radio on and the television or if we're on our phones. And the first purpose I think is just to say, what's coming into your soul? Hmm. You know, there's that old phrase, the eyes are the windows to the soul. Yep. And that's, it's true. It's really true. And so, uh, the first thing, even before we get to books, is just, mm -hmm. what are you letting in? Yep. You know, what are you letting into your soul? Where's, there's um, so much concern today about what we eat. Mm -hmm. uh, there is a, there's a book out there called uh, Adam and Eve After the Pill. Mm. And one of the, the things that Mary Eberstadt, the author, talks about is that a generation ago, people didn't think that food was as much of a moral category. But today it's this huge moral category and she's not saying that's good or bad, but she's just observing that. And so today yeah. we're so worried about what do we put in our bodies? You know, are you, is that non GMO? Was that ethically raised? Is it yep. gluten free? Is it, you know, all these things. And that's true for our bodies, how much more so for our souls. And so the, that's the first step I think yep. is just how much are you taking in and are you taking in things of God? You yep. know, you've got people telling you things all the time and if they, tell you the same message enough, repetition is the mother of learning. Mm. And so if someone's out there telling you, hey, you know, happiness is about having more things. Yep. And everything tells us that today. You want to live a happy life? You know what life's about? It's about having more stuff. It's about having comfort and pleasure. And, and all of us, me too, we can buy into that. Mm -hmm. And whether we're good Christians, whether we've had a good formation, whether we go to mass on Sundays, uh, we just got to be careful about that. Um, I'm, I'm sure that probably resonates with you too. Sure. Yeah. No, I think um, this idea of worldview sometimes, I think as, as Catholics and particular Orthodox Catholics, we can think, oh, well, I, I believe the right things. Like I've assented to the truths of the, of the faith. Like I believe what the church teaches, you know, for my best ability, I try to live it out. I, I go to mass every week, you know, I, I go to confession. I, give things up for Lent. Mm -hmm. But then in between that, we can allow this worldview from the world over and over to reach us, whether it's through music, whether it's through movies. And some of them, they don't necessarily have to be R-rated. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't just have to come with swear words. Those, these philosophies of have more, get more can come through 
uh, a G commercial that we watch right. all the time between our shows, yeah, totally. whatever it might be. And so I think, um, like you're mentioning, I think the conformity of our lives to the truth isn't simply I assent to the truth or that I know about the truth, but it's really throughout our entire lives looking at the way we live, the way we think and saying, do these, the way I think and live, does that actually conform to the truth? And we're never all the way perfect and we never can say we're done. It's a constant reframing because our culture, like you're saying, is throwing so much stuff at us. It just seeps in. We don't, we don't have to accept it or not accept it. It's just in our brains. It's in our hearts. It's in our minds without us doing really anything. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. I mean, that's, it's so subtle out there. And I I think, you know, spiritual reading, one of the things I would say to someone who says, you know, why should I read and why should I do spiritual reading? And, and one of the things I would say is that one of the best things in life is a good conversation, right? It's kind of fun to sit here Mm -hmm. with you in your basement and just have a good conversation. And, um, I really appreciate when I can meet adults who are capable of good conversation Mm because we've all met people who just not to pick out them, but they're just, they're hard to talk to a little bit, or maybe they, you know, haven't wrestled with some of the things you have and they don't have a depth to them tender into a deeper conversation. Yeah. And in a certain way, books are uh, a way of entering into conversation with with the most interesting human beings that have mm. ever lived. Mm. And so like in my house, I've got this framed picture of um, people that I've never met, but who I think are friends mm. because I've read a lot of their books. <laughs> yeah. I, you know what I mean? I'm like, I know what you're thinking. You're listening out there. You're like, this guy is a total nerd. <laughs> and it's true. I am. But they're my friends. So I have like, you know, Pope Benedict is one of the photos up there. And I've never met Pope Benedict. Yep. But I feel like I have Mm. because I've read so many of his books and he's helped me to see things that I never would have seen otherwise. And and in, in reading, I will say this, it's not always the case, but I do think by and large, if you start to read, you're going to encounter a depth Mm-hmm. that you don't usually encounter in other forms of media. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to ask that because obviously we're on a podcast, right? right? So people are listening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What do you, what do you think is that difference between, cause I, I think I've noticed this as well. And I think it probably plays in the conversation thing you're saying, but yeah, what is that difference? Like what would you get differently than I'm listening to a podcast in the car? Sure. Then I'm actually physically reading something. Yeah. I think there's good habits around reading. And so we all know we have shorter attention spans in the modern world. And so I would even just say when I, like when I preach on Sundays, uh, I work really hard on my sermons, but in conversation, it's harder to say things as clearly and as well thought out as when you write. Hmm. And so in books, a lot of times, what you're really going to get is, is a depth of thought that's harder to convey in an, a verbal or a video kind of format. Yep. So that's one thing. The other thing I think is on the part of the subject, the person who's engaging this is that there's just good habits around this is that when you are reading, you're going to tend to engage your mind in a different way. Mm-hmm. Now I do think you can do that on a podcast, you know, there's, there's certain podcasts I, I will listen to and they, N.T. Wright, who's a scripture scholar. Yep. There's a podcast out there that it's not really a podcast. It's some recordings of talks he's done. Mm-hmm. And if I'm at the gym, sometimes I'll, I'll listen to N.T. Wright 
And, and that certainly makes me think. Mm-hmm. But when I have a book in front of me, I, I engage it more deeply. I can go back to it. I can underline it. And my, I can stop. I can put the book down and mm-hmm. think. Yep. Um, and it also requires a bit of silence. So I think there's something to that. There's yep. something about we live in just such a uh, culture that's so stimulated and overstimulated and it's so good for us as a, um, men and women to kind of slow down and just pick up a book. Yep. It's a good mental discipline and it's, it's hard at first, but it's really good for us. Yeah. I love that piece about silence. Cause again, podcasts can be great. We have a podcast, but yeah, when you're reading, you can say, did I understand that? Or how does that apply to my life? And you just stop and go, I really want to like, wrap my mind around that. I want to read it twice. I want to read right. it three times. I want to think about what he said five pages ago and how that might put something together for me that I, I didn't think about. And um, I, I mentioned to our listeners before um, that I'm going through a big reading challenge right now. I, mm. I keep a track of all the books I read each year. I started doing mm. this last year. And so at the end of this last year, I looked back at all the books I read and I had several that were unfinished. Most of them were right. in written form. And the ones I did finish, most of them were audiobooks. <laughs> and I thought... Oh, interesting. I'm going through Exodus 90 right now. And so then I, I can't use social media. I'm still doing audiobooks when I'm in the car, right. I have long commutes. So that's helpful. But then I fill my space a lot of times with reading. And the amount of reading I've been able to do has just been crazy. Um, mm-hmm. Already already getting closer uh, or good pace for my goals. But, um, but I just noticed the way my brain works. And, and we know this in the secular world. This just isn't like a Catholic thing. Like right. we know that if you just look at social media all day, your brain will turn to mush because it's used to looking at 140 characters versus paragraphs and pages and chapters and using your imagination to mm-hmm. picture things and to conceptually idealize, you know, uh, you know, think, think it through and think how that would work and apply. I mean, our brains, it's, it's literally a muscle that either is going to diminish right. or be supported. Yep. No, absolutely. And that's, I think that's why it's part of the reason that I think it's hard for us to read and for a lot of people. Um, and I'm actually really bad sometimes. Like I had a guy in my house yesterday who was asking for book recommendations. And I read so much that the book recommendations I gave him were terrible. <laughs> they were just, they were, he was like, that's going to be way too hard for me. I was like, I'm glad you're able to recognize that. That's good. <clears throat> and we, I think we found something eventually. But but it is, it takes a little bit of discipline. Yep. I, I love to um, use the or, uh, analogy of exercise. Hmm. And just like you, your yep. brain's a muscle, you know, and if you don't work out for a long time, you go to the gym, you just hate your life. Mm-hmm. And if you haven't read for a long time, when you first start, it's just going to be hard. Mm-hmm. It just is. And the biggest thing that I find is very similar to prayer also, is that the reason that most people kind of stop doing consistent prayer and or they give up on prayer, it isn't because it's too complicated. Hmm. It's just because it's hard. Yep. And and so they try for a little while. They know they should. But it, it is. It's just hard. But if you stick with it, mm-hmm. you'll get there. And if you exercise, if you keep going to the gym, yep. you know, if you make it past that first month, that's kind of a big marker. Mm-hmm. And slowly, you know, it's that habit. It's the virtue. It becomes easier. And reading is very, very similar to that. It's yep. when you first do it, you know, and I have people all the time, Father Brian, I can't read because, you know, I'm just not an intellectual. You don't have to be an intellectual yep. to read. You have to be someone who cares about truth. And I think ultimately that's why you should be reading. 
hmm. is that Christianity, if you want to be a better Christian, Christianity is about truth, right? John 14, 6 is a very famous biblical passage that a lot of people have memorized where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And I think one of the dangers in modern Christianity, and it's not just modern, but it's easy for the faith for us to kind of reduce it to something less than what it is. Yep. And in the modern world, I think for a lot of Christians, not all of them, they'll say, well, you know, Father, I, I'm i not an intellectual like you. You know, in my homilies, I like to quote the Greek. And I'll be like, oh, you know, this is the Greek word. And I'll tell my congregation, none of you speak Greek, so I can just make it up if I want. And you never know the difference. <laughs> Except I have a couple of Augustine Institute professors <laughs> who like are masters of Greek. And so I always kind of laugh at that. But you don't have to be a scripture scholar. You don't have to be someone who has an advanced degree. Uh, but as a Christian, our faith is about truth. Mm-hmm. It's also about your heart, you know, but we sometimes separate those things. Mm-hmm. And I do think in the modern world, right, one of the things that's happened is that Christianity has become about our feelings. Mm-hmm. And your feelings are good. Yep. But they're not everything. Yep. yep. And what I think was so imperative you know, the United States, it's, it's kind of an interesting paradox. On one level, I, I, I think we have kind of an anti-intellectual culture we live in. Mm-hmm. But we also have more people who are educated than maybe any civilization in the history of the world. Yep. Uh, and I think it's really important for us as Catholics in the, in the world we live in, just for our own sake, mm-hmm. to really know that our faith is not just about a good feeling or wishful thinking, but it's to go deeper. Yep. And so, so to go back, I can, you know, me, my homilies can go on forever, but to try to tie it back to this idea of reading, I think, uh, when you open up a book, you can have a conversation mm-hmm. with a Catholic, um, or maybe it's a non-Catholic, but someone who has had insights that you haven't, mm-hmm. and they'll open a world to you that might be brand new to you. And, th- and that's why some of these writers are so important to me. So when I first started reading more theology and spiritual reading, you know, people like G.K. Chesterton mm-hmm. or C.S. Lewis, they just opened new worlds to me. And they showed me things as like, wow, I've never thought about that before. Mm-hmm. And it kind of introduces you to a deeper kind of world in, in your faith that you might not have had otherwise. Yeah. No, I love... Uh- I love where this is going. I feel like we were just walking through these amazing steps. So the first one seems just that conviction of the truth. Like you're talking about, we need to, as Catholics, Jesus is truth. He's not just feelings. And we need to own that truth and conform our lives to that truth. Right. And we can't just simply assent or say, I believe. No, no, it's, it's really a whole project of our lives being able to do just that. And so, uh, yeah, super important to be able to conform ourselves to truth. Um, the second one is just that habit. So I, I love the exercise yeah. analogy because I think just like the intellectual life, you might say, well, I'm not, you know, I'm not intellectual. Well, no one can say, well, I'm just not athletic, so I can't work out. Like mm-hmm. that's okay for my health not to work out. No, yeah. everyone needs to do something exercise-wise, whether you feel like you're athletic right. or not. We need that. We need that for our brains. And then it seems like you're transitioning right into, I think the best next point after, all right, I'm convicted. I've got to do this habit. I've got to figure it out. And then on to 
how, how do I pick spiritual reading? Like what, and you're obviously yeah. giving us Lewis and Chesterton as well, but I'd love to dive in a little bit more there and just think through, yeah, if we were, people were super convicted, they want this habit, what, what kind of stuff would you, would you suggest? Yeah, so <clears throat> the biggest, and, and I just want to echo that too, I, I think that habit for most people is just the biggest thing. It's, it's really, really hard to build habits. You know, the, the good news about habits is that you can form almost any habit. Mm-hmm. The bad news is it's a lot harder than you think it is, right? <laughs> yes. It's just really hard. I remember in college, I when I kind of went through my conversion, I was convicted that I s- swore too much. And mm. I was like, I'm going to stop swearing. And I thought <laughs> I was just going to do it like, you know, like that. Yep. And I was amazed at how hard it was. Yep. And it took me such a long time to finally break the bad habit I had and to build a habit of you know, having more positive speech. It's like you swear and then you swear because you swore. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Darn it. Oh, darn it. Yeah. And then I, yeah, it's just so funny. There's, <laughs> there's stories about that, but we'll, we'll let those go. <laughs> but yeah, it's, and so when you first want to develop a habit of reading, I think it's so important that you don't overdo it. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of people want to start a prayer life and they say, okay, Father Brian, I'm going to, I'm going to pray a daily holy hour. And I just, I kind of say, well, I, if you can, that's great. I think it's probably smarter to do 20, 30 minutes or 30 minutes and yeah. do something realistic. And so it's really hard to find that time in your life. But if you can find 10 minutes a day, or for me, it's my life is so busy. Mm-hmm. It's it's harder as me, for me as a pastor to find time to read. So I don't, I don't have time every day right now that I yeah. read, but I probably read about three or four hours a week at least. Mm-hmm. And like on Sundays after mass, for me, that's recreation. Yep. And so after masses are done uh, and before my evening mass, I'll go to a coffee shop and I'll read for two or three hours. But then how do you pick it? I mean, it's a little bit, you just got to kind of dive in. Now, I always recommend Ignatius Press. They're yeah. just... Um, they're very faithful to the church mm-hmm. and they just have all kinds of different books out there. Um, I know you and your wife, you guys have a book out there. We do. Dating Deoxys is, is published by Ignatius Press. So Shameless self-promo. Yeah, of course. Yeah. twenty nine ninety five, <laughs> three monthly installments. Right? <laughs> no, just kidding. I don't have any books yet, so I'll plug those maybe someday if I do. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I think, I think that the most important thing is just that you start. People will come to me and they agonize, do I read this or that? You know, that's not the most important decision. The bigger decision is just to say, hey, I'm going to start. And so there's different types of reading. Um, So C.S. Lewis and G.K. Chesterton are great starts. Lewis is a little bit easier than Chesterton. Yep. The first time I read Chesterton, I gave up. I was like, this guy's weird. I don't get him. I don't like him. And then I picked him up again about a year later and I loved it. Yep. and that'll happen. You'll grow in your reading. Mm-hmm. Uh, but th- there's those kind of writers who are kind of almost like apologetic writers, right? They're, they're, they're making an explanation of Christianity yep. and why it makes sense. Yep. But you can read saints. You know, in, in the focus world, there's St. Therese of Lisieux is a very popular saint, and she wrote an autobiography called The Story of a Soul. Yep. Have you read He Leadeth Me? <clears throat> I have not led He Leads Me, but I've heard great things. Oh, I just judged you in my heart. That's great. Yeah. I enjoy all of that. Yeah. See, you need to read that. That's, a, that's uh, He Leads Me is a book. It's a very beginner 
Lovell book. Okay. Ignatius Press, uh, I believe. Actually, I'm not sure if they still do publish. I think Doubleday might publish it now. But he leads me as a, it's a true story, autobiography of a, a Jesuit priest, Father Walter Chiswick. Mm-hmm. And he, uh, he tells the story of how he was arrested as a Vatican spy during World War II. Oh, well. Uh, by the communists in Russia. But it's just an incredible book and it'll just take you deeper and it's a page turner, mm. you know? And so you can do biographies, autobiographies. Um, there's books on saints. Uh, and then there's, there's books of, of theology, you know, uh, a popular author that, you know, you and I both know these days who put, I am amazed at how many, he's like the Beatles is Ted free. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like every whenever he has a new book out, I'm like, gosh, this is like the Beatles. There's like a new album like every like six months, <laughs> and so he he's just very prolific, and he's a great starting point, I think, for yep. people who want to take that that first dive. Yeah, and he has great books, you know, on the Rosary or certain, you know, like MC narratives and Scripture, uh, Lent, the Mass, just a lot of different. Yeah, easy to to walk into and say, okay there's great stories, great points in a way that I can understand. Yeah. Yeah. Um, my listeners now, I often recommend, uh, my French Jedi master, as I call him, Jacques Philippe. Uh, I think as a, uh, a great introduction, I'm always thankful for Helena Scott, which most people don't know, but Jacques Philippe knows French. He speaks uh-huh. French. Helena Scott translates all of them and she does a great job oh, okay. making a very easy and smooth translation. So, uh, Interior Freedom, I just finished that again. I've probably read it mm. eight times in my life because I'm melancholic. <laughs> I love it, my fellow melancholic. Uh, so I'm always a, a Jacques Fleet fan. Uh, but yeah, there's a lot of... I'm trying to think of different categories. I mean, because you have, like you said, that more apologetics lens of right. prayer, like more general theology. I, th- I think Dr. Suri, as you mentioned, prayer. Sure. I think Jacques Fleet. But anything found prayer, uh, I'm thinking different levels. I mean, Jacques Fleet is kind of, sometimes you get into like, in, in waiting water, the sure. people where you can just go down really deep. Yeah. Any thoughts there? So prayer, like, yeah. And, and one of the things I always encourage, yeah, I do like that progressive thing. Some of you, you know, you've read some of these authors and there's, there are different levels. And I think going back to that muscle analogy, you really need to challenge your reading. It doesn't, you, you don't want to go to the deep end at first, but you want to take that next step. Mm-hmm. So with prayer, you know, the, there's tons of book on prayer out there. Um, my favorite book on prayer is the introduction to the devout life by St. Mm. Francis de Sales. Yeah. And a lot of people tell me, father Brian, this is too hard for me. I don't usually believe that. Yep. I'm like, you just got to suffer through it a little bit and keep going. Mm-hmm. But that, uh, when I was a college student, a sophomore in college or maybe a junior, my focus missionary gave that book to me and that's, and I, I knew nothing about prayer. Yeah. And I, and honestly, and people today, I think sometimes people at my parish think I'm an intellectual and, and I think this is really another thing important to say. I, I, I would consider myself a person of average intelligence, hmm. maybe slightly above average, but, uh, a very good friend of mine in seminary who I think is, is smarter than I am. He said to me one time, he said, you know, Brian, an intellectual is not someone who's really, really smart. An intellectual is someone who loves truth. Hmm. And he said, you're such an intellectual because you love the truth. Um, so St. Francis de Sales is so good on prayer. Yeah. And the intro to the devout life, I must have read large sections of it like 20 times well, in my life, yeah. but I've never finished the book. Oh, wow. And I think that's okay. Yeah, yeah. You know, there's certain books in prayer that 
uh, that are just helpful. Because prayer, right? Prayer is about opening your heart to God. Mm-hmm. And so I'll use books in prayer. Um, a book that I love right now, probably most people would not love this, but there's an early church father named Origen yeah. who um, I have a book of, it's kind of a compendium of different things he has said on different topics. And he just, he's kind of like, he just fuels my love for God. I'll read a couple paragraphs and Origen just, gosh, he just makes me want to pray. Hmm. Uh, Do you have a title for that Origen book? Yeah, it's it's called, um, oh gosh, Spirit and Fire, I want to say. Okay. Uh, Hansers von Balthasar compiled it. Okay, oh wow. But it's a compilation of Origen's writings. Ignatius Press publishes that one. Uh, so Origen's great. Um have, have, I, you, have you read The Fulfillment of All Desire by Ralph Martin? I have. <clears throat> another compendium you yeah. know, of, of some of the great mystics of the church. I think a lot of people, you know, you, at first you're, you're intimidated by saints and mystics and these great doctors of the church. And that's fine. So was I. You yeah. know, when I, when I started reading, I would read authors who talked about other authors. Mm-hmm. And they made it more accessible. So yep. even a, kind of a, an author that a lot of people would consider tougher is Joseph Pieper. Yeah. So Joseph Pieper is a uh, modern philosopher, but basically for me, he is St. Thomas Aquinas hmm. because he loves St. Thomas Aquinas. If you try to read St. Thomas Aquinas, good luck. <laughs> you know, some of you out there like you probably do. And I actually, I'll read Thomas from time to time, but I find Thomas, so, some priests will find him just so fun to read. Yeah. I don't. I Reading St. Thomas for me is like reading the phone book. Yep. But if I read Joseph Pieper, Peeper makes, he, he shows me why Thomas is amazing. Mm. And so there's authors like that and you can find them. Tim Gray has a great book, um, Praying with Scripture for a Change, Alexio Divina book. Yeah. Uh, so th- those are some of the prayer books. There's other categories too. Sure. And, and maybe one thing I just wanted to steer the conversation towards and yeah. you and I had mentioned briefly earlier is I think, I do think an important thing for Catholics is we have this thing in the modern world called spirituality. Hmm. And, and it's a very good thing, but, uh, there's a, so there's a theologian I like named Hunters von Balthasar and he's, he's sometimes is a little controversial. Um, I think it's important for us as Catholics, by the way, total aside yeah. that we, um, we don't write people off. Yep. And I really think that's important. That's one of my big pet peeves hmm. is sometimes in good Catholic circles and people who mean the best they can write people off. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when, when you're a beginner, I mean, you know this, Kevin, it's like, yep. if someone's new to the faith, I'm not going to give them something that's maybe a little controversial. I'm not going to give them that. Yep. I can give them something that is safe and easy. But St. Thomas Aquinas, you know, who's maybe the most brilliant saint who ever lived, St. Thomas Aquinas, hit one of his main sources was Aristotle, yep. who was not a Christian. Mm-hmm. And it was controversial at the time to to incorporate a non Christian trying to seek after truth. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, that's an aside, but I, I do think that's important that we we don't say, oh, you know, this person got this one thing wrong, and so therefore we don't we don't engage them in dialogue. Sure. I think a, a Catholic mind, right? A Catholic yep. mind, if as you mature, is someone who listens and has a confidence mm-hmm. in the truth. Yep. But anyway, so Balthazar has a great point that he makes in one of his essays, and what he says is that. After, you know, the scholastic era, which reaches its height in St. Thomas Aquinas. Like 1300s. Right. Um, that we, we begin to see that 
you have a division in the church of you, you have spiritual writers. So for instance, like St. Therese of Lisieux, who is wonderful. Um, or you would have uh, St. Ignatius of Loyola or John of the Cross or Teresa of Avila. And on the one side, you have these kind of spiritualities and these spiritual writers, and they're very, very good. And on the other side, you kind of have these theologians. And Balthazar says that prior to that, what you tended to have was this marriage of the two. Mm-hmm. And so St. Thomas Aquinas is a spiritual writer, but he's also a theologian. Yep. And in his writings, those two things are wed together. And so my kind of my encouragement with that, and, and, and it's the same for the fathers of the church, right? If you read the early fathers of the church and you say, well, which one's a spiritual writer and which one's a theologian? Yeah. That's not there. They're, they are both and at the same time. Mm-hmm. And in fact, their spirituality is about the dogma of the church. Is G- The fact that Jesus is both God and man mm-hmm. is a spiritual theology it's it's something that teaches us that wow like my human nature me as a human being i can be in union with god Mm -hmm. because that happened in christ right there was a human nature you have to be careful right this could easy heresy (laughs) area but jesus is a divine person who weds a human nature to himself and so anyway i just i love that point that i think a lot of good catholics in the modern world uh, they feel like I want to read spiritual writers. Yep. But dogma of the church is something that's only for priests hmm. or for theologians like you. Sure. And and I think that's something we have to overcome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What yeah. do you think about that? No, I think that's good. I think um, I think it's a, it's all about that stretching part of us because I think sometimes the spirituality can be along those feelings, right? Like I want to feel like I have a good relationship with God. And when I read about the Trinity, I do not necessarily feel that way. Or when I read about Jesus having, you know, two natures, I don't get all warm fuzzies. Yeah. But I think, again, conforming our lives to the truth, mm-hmm. that isn't always a, a feel-good proposition, but it is truth. And so how do we stretch ourselves? Right. And really finding those those small moments to say, all right, just, just like exercise, right? Like people run marathons, half marathons, P90X, like right. we're all about stretching ourselves. But theologically and spiritually, are we willing to say, "All right, I'm going to run. I'm going to run a sp- spiritual and theological marathon this year." Yeah, with my life, right? Like, I'm going to stretch myself. It's going to hurt. I'm not going to do it. It's going to be annoying. It's going to take up time. It's going to take away from other things. Yeah, that's right. And just that next but step. We, yeah, 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 yeah. And and probably for most people, you know, out there, <clears throat> they're not going to be reading, you know, dense theology. And that's okay. Yeah. I wasn't either. Yep. Uh, when I was in seminary, I was stretched. And I remember uh, when I wrote my thesis, my last year of seminary, my master's thesis, uh, Tim Gray, who is, is such a punk, right? <laughs> he really is. He's that's, a total punk. Yeah. Yep. He is actually really funny. He, on my, the, my master's thesis, I wrote far too long. I think it was 63 pages and they wanted like 30 but Tim, he was a brutal director. And one of the, there's this page in my thesis that he just, there was red ink all over it. And he circled the center of the page. And then he wrote, could you make this any more boring? <laughs> <laughs> it was all in love. That's fantastic. Yeah. 
But uh, now I'm off topic. I can't remember how I got there. Oh, you were, uh, yeah. I don't, yeah, I don't know. I'm either. not going to recover. That's okay. Yeah. That's okay. But I think the point is right. You want to stretch yourself. Yep. Just a little bit. And, and I got, that was it. I got stretched in seminary and that thesis, Tim gave me some books that back then I was like, this is way too hard for me. Yeah. And now I look back at those books and they're not, they're not difficult for me at all now. Yep. But it's because I stretch myself. And so I, for you guys out there, I think this just matters. Your life's busy. If you've got kids, you know, mm-hmm. your life is insane. And you're probably out there thinking, I couldn't possibly, you know, take on more reading. And I, I think the most important thing for you is just to say, just a, a, the next step, a yep. small step, 10 minutes, you know, in the mornings. Can you, can you do it 10 minutes before you go to bed? Uh, and so spiritual reading Right. And to come back to that kind of thing, initial question that, you know, Kevin proposes, it's just going to make you a better person. It's going to yep. make you more d- deeper. It's going to make you someone who has a richer life. Mm-hmm. You're going to look at things and you're going to be able to think about life at, at a better level, at a deeper level. Uh, and you're going to have a capability. It makes me think of kind of like, I oftentimes used to think of friendships and, uh, Everyone needs friends, and but we all kind of know that different people can have de- different depths of friendship. And so there was a, a phrase I used to use called the communion of couch potatoes. And and again, this isn't like it's not meant to be harsh or anything, but we all have those friends, and so do I. Who their friendship sometimes, and actually, I don't, I don't have a television, so I don't really watch TV. But but I haven't before in my life, and there are people out there who are like their friendship centers around like, and I don't know any TV shows anymore. So it's yeah. like Seinfeld. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> yeah. Can we, what happened last week on Seinfeld? And that's not bad. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. But it's not super deep. And if you go deeper in your life, if you're reading literature, that's something we didn't even talk about, right? That's not yeah. even theology or spirituality, but, but if you're reading good literature, right? If you're reading some of the great classic books, like Dostoevsky's books, yep. you're just going to be capable of deeper friendships of a friendships that have, yeah, depth that the community of cash potatoes, you know, might not achieve. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and so I think I, I love that that last point because I think we just need to stretch ourselves. We need, just going through our points again, that conviction for the truth, and just that desire to go deeper. I think that that really <clears throat> trying to put that into a habit. We have a always say one of my favorite episodes we've done is called How to Habit. <clears throat> just walks you through how to construct those habits and and just like exercise, saying, all right, I want to be deeper. And I don't, I don't need to go, I don't need to run a marathon in order to exercise better, but I need to figure out five minutes. I, I do, yeah. I do a seven minute workout right now. It's really pathetic, but you know what? It, it's better than not working out. That is pretty pathetic. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's way better than not working out. If I can just do that three times a week, Yeah, it's better than 21 minutes is better than zero minutes, uh, which was very much my reality before. So getting that habit uh, is key. And then just finding, all right, what am I going to read? talk to friends and then you're going to be prepared to have that conversation with God, that conversation with all these amazing theologians and writers and conversations with other people. And, uh, that, that'll be really awesome. Yeah. And maybe it's the last thought I kind of have on that is just, um, Chesterton. And if you haven't read GK Chesterton, he's just delightful. He's, he's kind of feisty mm-hmm. and, um, you'll laugh out loud sometimes with his books. Uh, <clears throat> but he had this great, you know, I think it's in his book, Orthodoxy. Mm-hmm. But he's talking about tradition 
and and he calls tradition the democracy of the dead. Hmm. And I love that line. And basically what he says is he's like, you know, modern people, we're just kind of snobs sometimes. Yeah. And we just think we're better than everybody. And he says tradition means just giving a vote to the most obscure of all classes, which is those who have died. Yeah. Yeah. And and I love that because and I, so I think reading, you know, we have such a wealth of tradition. You don't know what you're missing. You just don't know what you're missing if you're not reading. And Chesterton just put his finger on that is that if you read, you're, you're less isolated. You know, we're, we're less susceptible to like the trend and the tyranny of just what's popular right now. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's a great thing because you can, you're not going to be carried along with the tide of just what the, what the current, you know, trendy population and world thinks, which is going to change tomorrow, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like in 10 years, we're all going to look back and be like, oh my gosh, 2018, that was so 2018. I yeah. can't believe we were thinking that and listening to that music and reading those people. And, um, well, no one's reading, so they're not going to say <laughs> that. <laughs> so anyway. Yeah. Uh, well, I think that's a great, great way to close. Uh, thanks so much for being uh, on our show. Really enjoyed the conversation. Yeah, and, likewise. I uh, want to thank our uh, listeners for listening in. If you want to connect with us, our email is hello at made to magnify.com. Again, that's hello at made to magnify.com. We'd love to hear from you. You can also find us on Twitter and Instagram at Kevin R. Cotter or Lisa Ann Cotter, and that's Ann with no E. As always, if you've enjoyed the show, please give us a rating on iTunes, add it to your podcast subscriptions, and tell a friend. This helps to get out the word about how to Catholic. Until next week, be saints. It's worth it.